0: Hi, friend. Hi, friend. I'm Michael Cassidy.
1: And I'm Laura Holloway.
0: And this is The Actors Helpline.
1: I shaved my eyebrow off a little by accident yesterday.
0: <laughs> Do you... Wait, you don't pluck? You're, you're, you actually have a razor up there? like?
1: No, 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 no. I I pluck. And then I have this tiny little, there's these tiny little face razors or like tiny little razors that you can use to just kind of get, you know, they use them for, it's called microplaning mm-hmm. where you just like shave all the slough off the skin off your face. And I was doing that, which oh. I do probably once every couple of weeks just to like keep it all exfoliated. And I got mm-hmm. up here and I was like, oh, I can use this to get these little hairs right. Oh, oh. <laughs> and I just shaved it right here. It's gone. <laughs> oh, I can actually but, see it
0: when you, yeah, when you, push yeah, yeah. It down yeah. Like well, that. I,
1: yeah, yeah. But that's okay because you know, I, I don't act on camera ever anymore. So
0: no, you don't need your face. Nope. For this gig.
1: How's it going? How's your day going? Your mustache is gone. It's freaking me out. I forgot my mustache that, is gone. You had an upper lip.
0: I texted a picture of myself to Laura right after I shaved it off. My wife, Laura, and I was like, she "I'm more you.
1: handsome than I remember." <laughs> It's funny. It's weird. It's a little weird. Like now I'm used to you with the mustache.
0: Have I told you my theory that my wife wants me? So there are a few things that my wife has said over the course of our relationship. Like you really need to do this fashion wise or this facial hair wise or this facial hair wise. Have I told you my theory
1: behind this? She's helping you. Yeah, she's helping. But here's the thing.
0: There's specifically th- fi- things that I find more or less ugly, and I have a theory that it's not her fault, and that she that it's actually an evolutionary adaptation that she has, which is with her partner she has a block, and the block is that she needs me to be less attractive to competition, so that. We can continue to raise this (laughs) Oh my God, I wish an eye roll. I wish everyone
1: could see. Yeah. I wish everyone could see how my eyes are gone because they rolled out of my head. Okay. So look down the block.
0: But here's the thing, okay? I am objectively Mm -hmm. less attractive with a mustache. It just doesn't look better on me than not. And she loves the moustache, never wants it to go away. Okay, just bear with me. Evidence I don't point think that's true. Two.
1: I don't think you can say okay. you're objectively. You're not objective.
0: Okay. Evidence Did you point pull number two. A
1: million people.
0: Evidence point number this. two. <laughs> she was like, to. you should wear crocs. Listen to me, Holloway. She was like,
1: Oh you okay. should wear okay.
0: crocs. Okay, yeah, you're okay. starting to okay. understand. You should wear crocs. She
1: wants. Who wants someone to wear crocs? <laughs> I, what was the third I, thing? Do you have a third? I don't think you need a third. You don't even need two. You just needed to lead with crocs. You buried the lead. Oh my god! I I'm gonna I am I gotta talk to her. I need to understand the reasoning. I, do, have you shared this with her?
0: I'm telling you the reasoning. It's not her fault. She has excellent yeah, taste but, in any.
1: Hold. Do you, have you talked about this theory with her?
0: Oh, yeah. I, I'm explicit oh, with her about it. and she thinks- It's not your fault, but you have a block with me because you, we we have this- Because she it's finds such you
1: a, so attractive.
0: No, I'm saying the things that she finds attractive about my appearance are things that other people objectively will not because it's an evolutionary survival mechanism.
1: Oh, my God.
0: She would like me to be less attractive to all others.
1: So what does it say about me that I want my husband to be the most attractive to other people? (laughs) What is that evolutionarily? Like, I love when other people are like, whoa, he's hot. You know what I mean?
0: I I have a feeling that- He gets hotter to me. So you guys have evolved differently.
1: Yeah, I guess. Have I evolved at all?
0: Oh, you haven't <laughs> evolved. Yeah, you're I'm like a rushed. mega early version of humanity where, like, you're not aware that there's a competitive scenario, so you embrace it.
1: Yeah, like, my lizard brain hasn't ever seen another woman. or <laughs> <laughs> man. It's just my husband. I only have eyes for him. Is that what I'm saying?
0: It's um very self-serving, this theory, and potentially you don't say gendered and misogynistic although i'm not thinking of it that way i'm i'm i because i when i float it by her i also float by her that i have the same things like she thinks my thoughts about her hair like what i'm like you should have a giant lion's mane of hair, Afro. which we've talked about before. Yeah. You, you, you and she,
1: my husband too. Yeah. He likes that. Yeah. There's natural, like a
0: virility like, to that. Go for There's it. like,
1: yeah, no makeup, yeah, giant hair. Yeah.
0: Yeah. 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 And yeah. maybe that's the same thing. That's what I'm saying. Maybe I'm saying, I, I don't think, let's say the, the giant hair that she could have is objectively less attractive. I'm not suggesting that, but I'm saying maybe. No. Because she doesn't wear it that way that Mm. I'm suggesting something to her that she, you know, feels uh, would feel less attractive and I'm doing it with no uh, awareness.
1: Can we just revisit the Crocs thing for a second? Does she wear Crocs?
0: No, 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 no. That's what I'm saying. There are certain things where, where I'm like, wait, there is a there is a clear component to this that that would be equal with you and you would never do this you would never do this so what never. are you talking and, about
1: and i want to be clear about crocs in general i don't like have anything against people wearing them but what i can't imagine is someone saying to their partner like you should wear crocs that's right you know what i'm saying that's right. like yeah if you want to wear crocs because they're comfortable or whatever
0: or you're going to be walking through water For 15 hours straight I mean that's For me When the first time I saw a croc I was like This is very useful For people who walk a stream The entire way To work and
1: back Do you know the like Story of how crocs Became in the zeitgeist
0: Ooh this is like A stuff you should know episode So
1: (laughs) This is what I read That You know the movie Idiocracy Yes Okay so the movie Idiocracy For those of you Who haven't seen it It's basically um, A reality movie About now (laughs) But it's a movie that was made like, I don't know, 20 years ago at this point about a society where everybody's an idiot, where society has become so dumb. That's what it, that's what it's about. So the costume designer for that movie found Crocs and brought them to the director. And the director was like, I don't know, these are not attractive or something. I can't remember the exact story, but I know that she in the what I read the article that I read she said something like don't worry no one's ever gonna I think the director was concerned that people were gonna start wearing them and it they wouldn't look idiotic enough and she was like don't worry no one's ever going to wear these in the mainstream <laughs> and now everyone wears Crocs all the time yeah it's terrifying to watch Idiocracy now it was funny at the time and now Maddie and I tried to watch it like a a year ago or something and I was like I this is I can't watch this. This is too upsetting. Oh, it's not so far from where we are, anyway. So that's that's what I heard about Crocs. Um. So I just can't get past the Croc thing with with Laura suggesting that you wear them. I can't. I, I can't think of any other explanation for that except that she just wants you to be extremely comfortable and she wants your feet to stay the way they
0: are. Yeah, but imagine this, Holloway. Imagine this. You're you're just walking through your normal life and someone comes up to you who you trust and love in other areas and says unsolicited you should get crocs and wear them it's a real side quest
1: (laughs) i think that i would question whether or not they loved me
0: this is what i'm talking about
1: am i am i an
0: instrument for security for our family our very large family or am i a romantic partner it's a question i have a
1: lot it's a question everybody has That's a question everybody has. I just want you to not feel alone. Hello. Hi, Michael and Laura. Um, I have a maybe obvious question, but I was wondering if you have an agent that is in a specific area, like in the Southeast, do they submit you for stuff that's happening in LA as well? And not necessarily like commercials, but more like, like, say the Hunger Games was happening would my agency submit me to something even though that's more of like a world like how would that work or do they only submit me to local things
0: okay let's um first of all thank you for the question megan you did not identify yourself in the voicemail and that's not a critique um but you did put your name in the name box so we know your name is megan and we appreciate your question thank you megan Laura, I want to I wanted to tackle this question. Let's answer it explicitly first. But then you and I talked mm-hmm. about it. it's also a great opportunity for us to sort of step back and do a little best practices with agents kind of mm-hmm. conversation as mm-hmm. well.
1: So if you have an agent in the southeast, for example, as per Megan's example, will they submit you for, let's say, a big movie in Los Angeles? That's essentially the question, right?
0: Yeah, and also I can say that my agency has a you know office in LA and New York, and we can talk about you know the comparable mm-hmm. um, opportunities that they that they're looking for for me as well. Mm-hmm.
1: So I I have representation in the southeast. I don't. I d- currently do not have representation in Los Angeles or New York or in any other market. I am represented by an agent who is in the southeast.
0: Will you, will you just, sorry to interrupt you, but will you tell, will you tell us what the Southeast is? What's that region uh, in the, in show business speak?
1: So my understanding of the Southeast region, if I'm not mistaken, it is, is quite large. Geographically speaking, it's the largest market in the country. It goes from uh, Baltimore, Maryland, um, because when House of Cards was shooting there, they were considered to be in our market. That casting agency is considered to be in our market. Um, And they're in Baltimore. All the way down to the Florida Keys. So to the southernmost point of the United States on the East Coast. And all the way west to Louisiana. So it is a huge market.
0: So the The sort of critical concentrations of work in that zone are
1: the vast majority of the jobs that shoot in the southeast shoot in the Atlanta metro area. There are many, many smaller cities in this market where there are productions. Charleston you know, um, the Righteous Gemstone shoots in Charleston, right? Um, House of Cards was shooting in Baltimore. There are shows sprinkled throughout, TV show productions sprinkled throughout. But the vast majority of the work is in the Atlanta metro area. So that would be considered like where the most casting directors are and where the hub is and where you often are asked to make yourself a local hire to work is there.
0: And you're saying that you're agent who's focused in the Southeast is not submitting you for a cop show that shoots in LA or New York?
1: Generally speaking, they, an agent in a certain market is submitting for jobs that shoot in that market. Generally speaking, my experience here in this market is that that does not mean that they won't submit you for a job from a breakdown elsewhere. But generally speaking, that is not their concentration. And
0: the reason that the agents are functioning that way, uh, dear listener, is that the production wants to hire people who are as geographically proximate to production as possible so that their cost for bringing the person to set is as low as possible.
1: Yes, the the most basic level, that's the answer. It's like, if you have an agent in one market, they're submitting you in that market, um, with some exceptions. And that's a case by case basis. I think, you know, I, I do have an agent that can submit me in other markets. Um, but that's not the contract as it were, right. That's not what we're contracted to, to that's not our agreement.
0: Yes. And I live in LA And prior to living in L.A., a number of years ago, I lived in New York. And when I um, started working in TV and film as an actor, I was signed by an agency that I'm still with now that has an L.A. and a New York office. And so they put me up for jobs, uh, the smaller roles, the guest stars that I go in for, the recurrings that I go in for generally the, I guess the best way to put it is this, the, to sort of describe the regionality of the casting process, the money that is paid to actors and spent on actors is concentrated at the top of the call sheet. So what that means is that the stars of the show make the highest salaries, but they also are sort of budgeted for the greatest amount of relocation money, housing stipend, um, travel to set, et cetera, et cetera. What that means for an actor who is wondering where they fit is that the smaller the role that you're going in for, the less salary that you'll get, but also the less money the production has available to bring you to set simply. And so when I go in for quote unquote smaller roles, I'm generally going in for them because my agent has identified shows that are proximal to me that I can drive to from LA.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'm
0: very rarely yeah. seen for smaller roles in larger market, or sorry, in, in other markets, in New York included. Now mm-hmm. that totally changes when uh, two uh, important things happen. One is you develop some degree of notoriety and or heat for lack of a better word, as a, as a performer, where you're being considered for larger roles. Now, once you're being considered for larger roles, the regionality of your specifics, especially these days with self tapes, um, matters less. And so now, for the larger roles that I'm going in for, I'm and and I've had the fortune of playing almost only larger roles in the, in the last twenty years. So I have been going in for things that shoot in other markets Canada all over Canada all over the United States and because the roles are larger they have a greater sort of um, uh, budget to bring me to them
1: yes yeah
0: so that's sort of the functional answer of how how our agents are functioning differently but also how they're essentially functioning similarly as well
1: and I, I think it 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 bears um, stating that the reason that it works that way, because I know that I didn't understand this when I first started out. So let's take Nashville, for example, which is not on the air anymore, but I know how this worked, right? So I can talk about, speak to this. When the TV show Nashville, which was a network show, the major series regular roles were cast by Jeannie Bacharach in Los Angeles. She's a casting director. And they had a local casting agency here in the Southeast, and they handled the smaller roles. When the breakdowns of characters that are being cast from productions go out, they go out to these specific markets so that the Southeast breakdown goes to all the agents in the Southeast who are psych-franchised. The breakdown in L.A. is different. It has different roles on it. So the breakdown goes out to these local casting agencies in this this region. And that is because those local casting agencies have been hired to bring in these certain local actors. And again, that has everything to do with budget. So if somebody's out there wondering, yeah, but why can't my agent submit me for LA Things? It's literally a different breakdown that they may not even have access to. Or they may. But they may not even have access to the breakdowns for the larger roles coming out of Los Angeles and New York. And to just close the
0: loop on Megan's question um, a, a little further, let's take the case of Hunger Games and let's pretend that it was shot in Atlanta. What Laura and I are saying is this. It may have been shot in Atlanta. It doesn't matter. It was 100 years ago. The, what Laura and I are saying is this. If you live in Nashville and you have a Southeast regional agent you were not, you would not be submitted for the Jennifer Lawrence role. All, almost certainly have an opportunity to tape for that role or the sister or any of the core cast, the people who are, let's say, in all three movies. Okay. But you would have, there are a ton of parts in that movie because of the nature of the you know, uh, dome thing that they go into. There's a bunch of people in that movie who have one or two lines, but they probably worked for like four months because they're in the background of a hundred scenes and there's no like other strangers wandering into those scenes. Those are good parts. You know, those people made 50 to a hundred grand and um, they, they had work and they're in a big ass cool movie. And those people, at least some portion of those people were local hires, um, mm-hmm. you know all those people who have to die in that first movie and not be in the other two. You know th- that that's a great; those are great opportunities, and those are exactly the roles that are cast by uh, via regional representation. Okay, so Laura, we wanted to talk also about what's instructive, I think, about this question, at least to me, which is it is my observation and experience to a certain extent that we as actors feel so much like we're on the outside of the business. And we've talked about this a little bit in other episodes. I think there's a feeling of the, the light that is my acting is burning inside of me in a way that no one else can see except for the 10 minutes a week that I'm up in front of my scene study class, or it, I only feel it three days a year because that's how frequently I'm doing a short film in this city that I live in and all the other time it's invisible, but it lives inside of me and it burns really hot and really bright and people just don't know about it. And I think that that sort of like spiritual foundation creates in many, most I'll say beginning actors, this feeling that you have a secret that no one else knows about. And so when you start to think of your business You just naturally sort of default to, I hope they pick me because I know it's hard, but I also know that I have this secret comet burning inside of me that's really bright and it's just waiting to get out. And it has so few opportunities to get out that I feel stifled by the inability to translate it into effective business. It's not like I'm really good at flipping burgers and I just got to find the right place to flip burgers. It's almost the opposite of that. And that seeming scarcity of opportunities, I think creates in our actors, the idea that we can't do simple and important business practices. And as it relates to the question, I just, I I have this idea that it carries into other areas. Like uh, I I find that actors um, generally sort of Prefer to look away rather than toward their finances. I, I find that there's there's a bunch of things that we can get into in other episodes, but specifically with this question. And if this isn't true for Megan, it's great. But I find that there's this feeling that you can't just simply ask your agent what their job is. How do you see your job? and I've used this analogy before on the on the podcast, I think of my team as I'm the contractor, I'm building the house, and my team are my subcontractors. And what that does is it frees me up to say, I want the bathtub to go there, but you are a good plumber. So tell me why that's not a good idea. And then let's both agree what the bathtub should look like, which one we should order, and all of the things that are around that decision. And I understand that there's things where it's like, I'm afraid to be a squeaky wheel. I'm afraid that they won't submit me. I'm afraid that they won't like me, et cetera, et cetera. I understand all of those concerns, but it's helpful. I want to say the most meaningful thing I can tell people having had a 20 year career and and relationship with, you know, very sort of quote unquote, powerful agents and managers. I am empowering them through the salary structure, (laughs) which is that they get a piece of my earnings and through my sort of personal communication to create the relationship that I want to have with them. And I would suggest to beginning actors that you start right away the moment you meet them with that relationship. If you want to have a relationship with your agent where you ask a question about the business and they tell you the answer, start asking the questions. Don't wait until, oh, I'll wait until I'm, Connie Britton, to use the Nashville example, before I ask people questions about how things work. No, I think it's the opposite. I think it's like, you you know, I'm I'm super good at the stuff between action and cut. So just help me out here. What's going to happen outside of action and cut? Do you X, Y, Z? How do you see your X, Y, Z? What does a manager do? What does an agent do? What do you like about your job? What do you not like about your job?
1: Yeah, I think this is very good advice and i have been receiving this advice from you michael for <laughs> <laughs> nearly two decades and i want to say out loud that it was incredibly challenging for me to take that advice for the first long while and i and i just want to speak to this for a second because i don't because i'll tell you what i did when i heard michael say that is what i thought I would say, yeah, yeah, okay, okay, sure, yes, okay, you're right, you're right. But what I was thinking was, he doesn't fucking have any idea what it's like to be me. That's what I was thinking. Like, he, he he got an agent right away. He doesn't know what it's like to not be able to get an agent for five years, despite the fact that I'm a very good actor, I'm skilled, I've spent a long time training, I'm I have a look that can be attractive for certain roles. Like, there's a place for me in this industry, and I know it, and no one else seems to see it. And that feeling, by the time I got an agent, (laughs) I was so terrified to lose that agent that I was terrified to be a squeaky wheel. I was like, I'm just going to listen. I'm not going to ask a lot of questions. If I have questions, I'll ask somebody else. Like, I'm not going to call them. I'm not going to bug them. I'm not going to, you know, and that was my mentality. And I'm not here to say whether that mentality was right or wrong. It's not about being right or wrong. And what I am here to say is that my experience is, is that I just wish I had been able to take that advice. I wasn't able to, and that's okay. But there is, like, it makes you know what you were talking about and you didn't say poverty mentality but I like to think of it this like there's there's a poverty or a scarcity mentality when it comes to this work sometimes like you said for most people because of this seeming scarcity of opportunities but it isn't really a scarcity of opportunities it is a scarcity of opportunities until it isn't and part of that process is having representation. And I know for me, it felt like that was the only hurdle. I was like, all I need is an agent, and then I'm gonna have all the opportunities in the world. That also wasn't an accurate assumption. And I was also like, I can't get opportunities unless I have an agent. That's not right either, that's not true. There were plenty of ways for me to find opportunities to work. I was so paralyzed by the fear and the scarcity that I often didn't try. And I want to say that out loud too. So it always comes down to this, but like it's an inside job. <laughs> know who you are, know what you have to offer and do whatever you need to do for yourself. This is like the best advice I have for actors, I think. Do whatever it is you need to do for yourself so that what who you are and what you have to offer is not challenged, or no, it'll be challenged, is not dictated by the feedback you're getting from agents mm-hmm. saying yes or no to you mm-hmm. period mm-hmm. or casting directors, you know what I mean? Like, or anybody know who you are, know what you're worth, have people in your life who you trust who can give you feedback like teachers and fellow actors and director, you know, like if you make your worth about whether or not you can get an agent, which is what I did for a long time. It's only going to hinder you. So, right. um, yeah, I think that I'm glad you. I'm glad that we went to this place from that question because it does feel like it's part of the question for me. For me, it right. would have been if I was asking that question, and whether it is for Megan or not, you know, I don't know. But yeah, it uh, it's a journey, and uh, getting an agent happens quickly for some and not quickly for others, and everything in between.
0: I would say that what I try to do when I talk to my reps and I'm more uh I'm more committed to this idea when I'm feeling insecure. Um I try to remind myself that I'm running a successful business that is just mm-hmm. in a gap between contracts right now and not questioning at least when I'm talking to them. I'm not questioning whether or not I'm good at building houses to continue the contractor uh, analogy, I take that as a given. And so I try to empower myself as hard as it can be when I'm putting energy out there. My question is to them is, what are you doing? How is it complementing or not complementing what I'm doing? This is what I'd like to happen. And it doesn't mean that I call them up and tell them what to do. They have a job that I don't understand. And I'm, I'm not interested in learning how to work the job. And if you are, by the way, I know a bunch of actors who became uh, agents and that's a great way to like get in. Um, but I'm talking specifically about you're committed to acting and you are talking to your agent or your manager. I think finding out what their job is if you've had, you you know, you and I have both had the um, fortune of talking to people who are interested in working with us as agents and managers. And Mm -hmm. again, that is a, that is a great opportunity for you to center on, do I want to bring this person into this successful business that will be successful regardless of how this meeting goes? And I would, I would just suggest to every actor who's serious about this life that you entertain that you prepare along those lines for every conversation and email that you're mega intentional about Mm -hmm. how you're treating your business, regardless of whether or not you think that you deserve it. Um, Because if nothing else, it will create inside of you a sort of data set for what it might be like for you to start living the way that you'd like to be living in the future right now. And you'll realize Mm -hmm. like what comes up for Mm
1: -hmm. you. Mm -hmm.
0: I have, I have seen from, I I have been on a show for an extended period of time and watched someone who has a small role but who knows that they have a lot to do and say in this world come on and they behave totally differently and I respond to them totally differently than the person who comes on an equal-sized quote-unquote small role on the show and has a feeling of like, I don't belong here. And yeah, I have seen yeah. how the entire... um my uh, ecosystem of the show responds to that person differently. And it's not that the confident yes. person doesn't ask questions is that it's that the confident person is asking questions from a place of, you know, I I'm not wondering if I'm good or not. I'm wondering what's going on here. And, um, I, I think your business r- responds to you based on how you, uh, what you put out.
1: Yes. And, and I, I want to, I just want to reiterate, Thinking of it as a business is the only way to think of it. (laughs) It's (laughs) not, none of this is personal. I did not think of it that way coming into acting because acting was so personal for me that I didn't know how to separate or even that I should separate that from my business relationships in it. And with an agent That is a business relationship. I might become pals with my agent. Just in the same way that if you go to an office every day, you may or may not become friends with the people in that office. You may or may not become good friends with your boss or your coworker in the next cubicle or office. But that's not why you're there. That's not the purpose of the meeting, right? And I had it very, very, um, the, the line was very fuzzy. There wasn't a line. It was, it was almost like I was going to these meetings, basically waiting for someone to tell me that I was good enough.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: As like a person. <laughs> and I didn't know it. But and it was confusing because I thought I I thought I was good. I didn't, I didn't need them to tell me I was a good actor. It was more about like, do you vouch for me as a as a person sitting in front of you? Yeah. How I look. How I, you know, so your analogy really changed the way that I thought about this stuff. I am a contractor. These are subcontractors. And that is as far as it needs to go. If I am building a house and and I need a plumber, I need a plumber. I don't have those skills. I have to have one, right? And there are five plumbers to choose from. Great. But if there's only one plumber (laughs) available... I'm going to need to work with that plumber for a minute. Yeah, You know, that's important to say too. And then I have to be, but, and so what I thought was, well, this is the only plumber around that is willing to work with me. So I can't ask that plumber questions. That doesn't make any sense. This is the only plumber around to work with me. I can ask questions, keep looking for other plumbers keep doing what you need oh, to do yeah. so that to attract other plumbers. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. But like yeah. not being able to ask questions and being a squeaky wheel is different than asking questions too. I want to make that really clear. Asking questions about, you know, the way that they run their business is not you being annoying or a squeaky wheel under any circumstances. And if they think that that's the case, then, you know, y- there's nothing you can do about that.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I mean, uh- you know, when you go to a restaurant and you order something and it comes out and it's the opposite, you, you hopefully spiritually hope to be the person who feels empowered enough about your dining experience to say, Hey, look, the, uh, I didn't order this and no one has to be wrong for that to be the case, but it is instructive for those of us who feel so, um, passionate, but also insecure about our businesses to be like, Oh, no, I can just remind myself like agents and managers, that's a service business. And I'm not, I'm mm-hmm. not saying they're good or bad or anything. I'm just saying I wanted a cheeseburger and I, and you brought me scrambled eggs and mm-hmm. or, or whatever, or tell me about the menu or whatever, whatever the thing is we, I, yeah, um, yeah. if, if we, we keep recording I'll exactly, I'll, we could just turn it into an analogy episode guys. First of all, Megan, thank you for the question. My great fear, Megan, is that we have just spent 20 minutes giving you unsolicited feedback about something that you are not experiencing and that you really just wanted to hear us answer the question. And so I'm self-conscious that I have decided that you don't know how to talk to your agent and gone on about it for 20 minutes. And I just want to share that just with you and me, Megan. Um, if you ever see me, I hope you'll know that my intentions were in the right place. Any can you give me some feedback on that, Laura?
1: It's entirely possible that Megan turned this off 25 minutes ago. So, you know, she may not. That would be
0: ideal, right? It would be ideal if Megan was like, okay, great. I got my answer. And she just turned it off. So then she doesn't hear us assume that she doesn't.
1: I like to think she's still listening. And I just want to say, Megan, you're welcome.
0: (laughs) This is why you and I are compatible and triggering for each other.
1: Totally. Yeah. For those of you who can't see, which is everyone, Michael's face just turned bright red and he's doing this thing where he touches his hair a lot when he gets nervous. (laughs) Because I said, you're welcome. And he's so afraid that Megan's going to think I was serious.
0: (laughs) Guys, you I have great news. Listeners, you can be like Megan. You can go to theactorshelpline.com, you can click on the microphone there, you can give us a name that may or may not be fake, you can give us an email that is totally made up that we'll never know is real or not, and you can answer, ask sorry, you can ask us a question, hell, you can answer a question too, but you can ask us a question loosely about the acting process and we will do our best to answer it on the
1: show. Or not about the acting process, just ask us whatever you want, maybe we'll answer it. Just in the realm of acting.
0: We also have Instagram, not to brag. <laughs> The Instagram handle is at the Actors Helpline. Laura is Holloway underscore EE. I am at at Michael Cassidy Actor. Our theme music is by Maddie Alger at The Cabin Studios.
1: We're on TikTok also. We
0: are grateful for how fired up everybody is about the show. And uh, we're enjoying you enjoying it.
1: Yeah. We appreciate you guys. See you next time.